Hey guys, welcome to episode four of Dear Black Girl. And this show was actually inspired by three things. Um, one of them was this artist I saw on Instagram that's actually based out in Harlem. He has like this dope art series that's like letters to black boys and black girls and they're like encouraging letters. Um, also, it was inspired by Justin, the creator of Dear White People. And this anthology I wrote back in college for my African-American women's rhetoric class that I recently <laughs> came across that all just came into one. Um, but a little about the show. Well, first of all, I'm your host. My name is Unique. And the show is a guest-driven show that highlights the everyday Black woman. And my guests come on. They share their stories and personal experiences, all while curating the show's playlist and each song holds like a special memory or lesson that our guests learn throughout their life. Um, the show's purpose is not only for women of color to come share their stories, but also to serve as a safe space and place for all of us. So without further ado, dear black girl, meet Chanel. Hi. How are you now? Chanel is, well, she's, what is your job title? <laughs> I don't know what my job title is. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do everything. Um, I am the director, producer, creator of a docuseries called The Crossroads, which is um, a travel documentary about hip-hop in other countries, exploring and understanding the impact that American hip-hop has on other countries and cultures. Um, I am project manager at 740 Project. <laughs> I am... The plug of many things, but not a lot. But I just seem to know everyone and plug in things. Um, yeah, I mean, I wear many hats. Uh, yeah, it's there's so many things that I do that I don't remember, and then people remind me, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was sitting here trying to like, what is Chanel's job title? Like, I don't know one thing that I can consolidate. Like, <laughs> yeah, I does. do so many different things. It's it's always been like that, though. Um, you know, even from when I started interning, I was like interning all over the place, and I was like interning at radio at Jive, but then I was working at ASCAP, and I was like in high school studying drama, and I was just like all over the place. So I've never been the person that's like stuck in one thing. I always like to do like learn everything, um, and just like get as much knowledge so that. If something comes across my plate, I'm like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> um, but that's just how it's always been. I really, my mother doesn't know what the hell it is that I, I do. <laughs> She's like, yeah, she she works in the music industry. She knows people. That's all I can tell you. And I'm like, you make it sound so much cooler than, I, than it is because I'm not that cool. But yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your documentary that you're working on. Yeah. Um, so Crossroads is, um, like I said earlier, it's about... Um, discovering hip-hop in other countries um, and its influence and impact. Um, I came about it, I can already hear me saying um a million times. <laughs> uh, I came about it um, actually when I was 17. I was, I used to do these um, hip-hop showcases in Brooklyn called Sold Out. And um, it was really mostly for my friends because we were all too young to be like performing at SOBs and different things like that. So I found a spot on, in Bed-Stuy, Sister's Place, right on Hancock and Nostrand. And um, we used to just, yeah, we used to do these open mics, you know, two Fridays a month. And our, my friends would perform and we have like our other friends come and support. And one of the owners um, of Sister's Place was just like, hey, like what you're doing is really dope. You know, you should come to Zimbabwe with us. We take a, a annual trip to Zimbabwe. And I'm like, the hell am I going to do in Zimbabwe? I'm like 17. <laughs> I'm like, what? And um, early days of the Internet, like AOL dial up. I um, started just researching, like, things to do in Zimbabwe, and that's when I discovered that there was, like, a growing hip-hop community out there. Um, but a, a lot of the things that I saw was just pretty much, like, how the young people there were, how much they were, like, taking in hip-hop. However, like, it was, like, more kind of, like, a negative standpoint. Like, they were really into, like, it was all about the bling-bling, and it was all about, like, you know... It, I mean, because at that time, it was like 50 Cent was out. Like, there was so much going on. It was like about oversized jerseys. And so they were so, like, caught up in that movement, but weren't, like, they weren't understanding exactly where hip-hop was rooted from, where it came about, um, the early days. So um, 
so yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. And that's when like I was like, wow, that'd be really dope if like I did a documentary about hip hop in Zimbabwe. And everybody was like, oh, that'd be so dope. You should do it. And then I was like, yeah, I'm about to go to college. Somebody else will do it. <laughs> and people have. And I've seen like a lot of amazing, you know, documentaries over the years. However, this one is like my story and about how like my father was the one who introduced me to hip hop when I was seven. And um you know, after his passing in 2015, like the idea came back around and I just was like, you know, what better time to do it now? Um, you know, it's just funny how life works. You you set out to do one thing and then your life takes a 360 and you're like, oh, how did this come back around? So, yeah, so that's that's where we are. Um, we just I just got back from Cuba a couple of weeks ago, was shooting out there and it was just really dope just to hear um, like people's stories and the influence and how much they're so connected to like the early days of hip hop, like the 80s, 90s, um, like more so around like the struggle and speaking about being impoverished and being impoverished and, you know, the government and all those things. So, yeah, it's 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 a real fun journey. It's scary because I half the time don't know what the hell it is that I'm doing, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to the first segment coming out of shooting for September of this year. So September 2017 will be like the Cuba portion and then we'll go back to japan and then zimbabwe south africa everywhere so yeah look out for it it should be fun <laughs> so how was cuba cuba was dope <clears throat> cuba was dope um i you know my family's from haiti so like i'm used to going and like living a certain like being in an island and, be, and like being amongst the locals mm -hmm. and experiencing that um so for me like cuba wasn't very like far like you know far off from what i'm used to um, you know, I just tell everyone it's really like a cultural experience, you know, I think like, and I'm guilty of it too. Like, it's really like, of course, everybody's on the gram and it's like, oh, this is a perfect picture. With <laughs> but like when you really get there, like you really connect with the people because you realize like they really don't have anything. Um, you know, in many ways, like, you know, you, we can argue back and forth about like Fidel and what, whether he was good or bad for the, the country. And in many ways he was good. Like they have free education. Like, they can become doctors if they want. They have free medical. Like, you break a leg, you walk out, you get a new one. Like, it's just, like, all of these things that they have. That they have. Um, however, at the same time, like, they don't have access to, like, the outside world. They don't have internet. Um, it's illegal to have internet in their homes. Like, only if you're a doctor can you have internet. Um, you know, um, and for them, it's just, like, it's still very controlled. Like, the government gives them all that they need, in a sense. And anything more is, like, no, you don't need that. So in many ways, they're very, they're happy, but, you know, talking to a lot of the young people, especially since we we're talking about music and their music, um, a lot of them, they want to share the music of Cuba today, like the, like, you know, the hip hop, the R&B, um, their sound. And for them, it's so hard. It's so hard to just like upload a song because if you're making $10 a month, if that's your salary and internet is $3, like you're not going to like getting on the internet to upload a song is not yeah it's not a priority yeah, it's not a priority it's not feasible um so for them it's just all about just getting their voices heard and it's such a struggle like it's like they got to get to one they got to get from wherever they are to Havana and then they got to find the plug in Havana <laughs> and then they hope the plug in Havana like plugs them into like someone probably in Miami and that's still not promised and that costs so much money and um and it just you really just take for granted as artists here um, in the states and you know other places around the world like how much we have access to, um, just even just like recording music. Like, I was in the fastest studio session of my life. That studio session was an hour. I was like, what? We ain't popping no bottles. Like, <laughs> we ain't gonna take breaks. Like, we ain't gonna do ad libs. Like, they are so focused because they don't have the means. Like, a studio session for them is like six months saving so it's like we going in we we're focused we know what we have to do so but it you know but you know but because of that it was like beautiful everybody is awesome like the food is good i mean yeah the food is good like alcohol is really cheap so you gotta drink <laughs> and it's dope and i just had a great time so like i just like advise everyone like if you go like spend time with the locals get to know the people because they have amazing stories and um and they just love to hear what we have and also if you do go to cuba Bring jump drives, bring jump drives full of music because that's like they don't have a lot of access to music. So like I brought jump drives and I put like all the newest music. And then when I got there, I realized all they wanted to listen to was 90s R&B. So I was like, OK, when I come back, I'm going to put mad 90s R&B <laughs> on here for you. It's some 90s hip hop. But yeah, just bring 
jump drives with music and like give them to the people. Like that is like the best thing you could ever bring for them because they don't have a lot of access to it, but they love it. They love our music. They love our culture. They love us. So yeah. That's dope. <laughs> oh my God, so much. All right. So we're going to count down with your songs. Okay. Let's start with song number five. Song number five. Oh, what order are we going into this? <laughs> um, song number five will be um, In a Sentimental Mood by Duke Ellington. Um, that was my dad, you know, my dad was one of the early, like, people in my life who, like, exposed me to music, especially hip-hop and jazz and every sound. And um, I remember, like, when I first heard uh, Duke Ellington's In a Sentimental Mood, it was because of my father, and he put it on a tape, and I remember just listening to it all the time so much that I have it tattooed on my arm. So um, that's just, like, my song. Like, if I'm stressed out, if I'm just, like, in a space where I'm, like, I need to calm down, I need to zen, if I'm thinking about my dad, like, that's the immediate song that I put on, and I just kind of, like journal and write and collect my thoughts and just allow the universe to come to me. So that's it. Number five. <laughs> Duke Ellington in Sentimental Mood. All right. Since that one reminds you of your father, let's like dive into like the importance of like a father-daughter relationship, especially like among black women. Oh, it's so important. I mean, my parents had me when they were really young. And um you know, my parents, being very young, um, made the decision together um, with the family to have me live with my father for the first few years of my life. Um, we lived in Brooklyn. We moved to Jersey. It was my dad, his family, my uncles, and we lived in Jersey. Um, and, you know, everything that I am as a woman is because of my dad and my uncles. Like, having that foundation of, like, love and support and, you know, just... You know, as a black woman, you know, just having someone tell you that you are enough, that you don't need anyone else to validate you. You know, when you're a child, you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm 31 and I, I still hear my father say it and he's not here, but, you know, I still very much so hear him say it. You know, I speak to my uncles almost every other day and my relationships with men throughout my life have been have been great in many ways, and sometimes they weren't great, but in many ways they were great because of the relationship that I had, um, the foundation that was instilled in me. Um, you know, just knowing my worth, knowing my value, knowing that, you know, if I wanted to be, like, being with a man was a want and not a need. Um, and supporting them, supporting our black men or supporting whatever man that you're with, like, um, understanding that, like, my dad and my uncles were humans and they made mistakes and I saw them as young men dating young women and I saw them grow <laughs> up as older men still dating women. And But knowing deep down inside that they everything that they did was out of love and they're humans and they make mistakes. So that's why with, like, men that I interact with in my life, like, I don't, I don't, for the most part, I don't try to bring anyone down because I know... I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know that men go through different things throughout their lives, as do women. So, you know, I think, you know, of course, like, having your mother is amazing, and I love my mom. <laughs> I'm sure she's <laughs> going to hear this. But, you know, having your father, you know, be that number one, that first man in your life that you love and that first man that supports you and gives you advice and tells you right from wrong and recognize the bullshit from five miles away is something that I will never take for granted. And, you know, I think about it every single day. Like, in many ways, it makes me too strong. <laughs> it makes me a little too strong, a little too headstrong. But, you know, I don't think I've dated any men that were mad that I had my dad in my life. If anything, I think it made our relationships stronger and better. And fortunately, like, I'm friends with a lot of guys that I've dated, and it's all because it's just like it didn't work out. And you're cool, I'm cool, and, you know, so... Yeah, I will say that's like a rare thing nowadays when it comes to dating. Like people are mutually cool after the fact. Yeah, it's so rare. I mean, my my friends, a lot of, I have a lot of male friends. So that's always something, any relationship I go into, I'm like, this is my male friend. <laughs> that's all it is. Like, he's like my brother. Um, and, but when I talk to a lot, like some of my female friends who are not comfortable with the idea of like the fact that I have a lot of male friends and ask me like, well, how would the guy that you're dating? And I'm like, well, he has to be secure and know that like, we're good. Like they are who they are and you are who you are. And 
even after you break up, I think that I I think it's a little for me personally, because I know people will disagree. I don't feel like you were with someone for a reason. And for me, like every relationship that I'm in, I look to them as my friend. Like if we're not friends, then what's the point of us being together? Um, my grandfather used to always ask me, he's like, well, do you like this person? And I'm like, yes, grandpa, I love them. And he's like, I didn't ask you if you love them. I asked you if you like them because you have to like people. Like as children of God or, you know, whoever you believe in, like as humans, we are here to love everyone and respect everyone. But liking someone is a whole nother level. And um, so, yeah, every relationship like that ends, like I'm not saying that we speak every single day, but it's like a mutual respect. We I have like one ex who calls me like once a year to ask me some random ass question. And he'll be like, okay, that was my question. Bye. And I'm like, okay, well, good to know you're alive and good to know that you still think to call me to ask some random ass question. Um, But yeah, I I don't hold any grudges. There's too much. There's not enough time on this world and I'm not trying to waste any, any energy. So I think, you know, as long as they weren't like a complete and utter fuck boy, you can, you guys, you can make it work. There'd be some respect there. All right, let's get into song number four. Song number four. Um, gosh, this is like on the spot. Um, well, it's not on the spot because I did come up with some stuff, but I'm like, do I put them in an order? <laughs> um, um, so song number four is M-U-T-H-O-D, Man, off of 36 Chambers, Wu-Tang 36 Chambers. Um, Wu-Tang, so 36 Chambers was the first hip-hop album my father ever gave me. I was seven years old. It makes no sense. It makes no <laughs> sense. Until this day, like, my uncles are like, why that? I'm like, look, I don't know. He just gave it to me. And even he would be like, I can't believe I gave you that, that album. What was wrong with me? I'm like, you were, like, young and dumb. But um, I remember he gave me the cassette. And I listened to it all the time on my little radio in my room. And um, I had the biggest crush on Method Man. I had the biggest crush on Method Man. So I remember, like, I memorized the whole song just because I was like, one day... I'm going to meet him in person and I'm going to like say the words to him and he's going to think that like I'm the coolest little girl in the world. And <laughs> so one day I'll never forget, like I was in the mirror and I was saying, I was like, M-E-T-H-O-D, man. M-E-, and like I had like my whole outfit on and everything. My father was like, what the hell are you singing? And I was like, and I'm like saying the words, like thinking it was really cute. And then I got my ass whooped. Oh my God. <laughs> and I got my ass whooped. And I remember being like, well, why would you give it to me? And my father was like, oh, I don't even remember why I gave it to you. And then we joked about it afterwards. It was, I know it sounds crazy, but I like that was, yeah, that's still one of my favorite songs. I saw, um, it was like four years ago when it was a 30th anniversary Def Jam concert. And Method Man performed it, and I was in the audience. And my best friend Jamal was like, I really forgot you know all the words to this song. And I was like, in the audience, I was like, hey, you, get off my... I was like, it was a, it was a whole thing. So, yeah. Have you gotten a chance to perform it to him, like, in his face? No, I still, like, <laughs> honestly, like, you know, Method Man, if you should ever hear this podcast, this is Chanel August. Um, <laughs> if I, I'm sure, like, if I actually ever saw him, I would probably, like, totally freeze and forget all the words. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that is the one that, that was, like, yeah, that's, that was my favorite. So, yeah. All right, so what's one of, like, the greatest lessons you've ever learned from another woman? One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned from another woman <clears throat> How important, how important it is to support each other. Um, you know, I start. I started interning in the industry when I was fourteen. Um, for the most part, every boss I ever had was a guy, was a male, and it wasn't until um, my later years that I started like interacting more with women. And um, and for the most part, like you know, I know everyone has different stories about the industry. Um, for me, like I. I'm very fortunate that every man that I ever worked with respected me. They never once came out of their face and tried anything. There was always a level of respect, you know, always like, you know, this is what you need to know. This is what you don't need to know and all these different things. So when, you know, I started working with women, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is going to be great because I've never had a woman boss and she's going to teach me everything I know and how to like you know, swerve these dudes and all this stuff. And that wasn't the case. It was not at all. It was actually hard. The hardest thing that I ever like had to learn was like my own worth and knowing and being comfortable with myself, but then also like 
the importance that it is that although like I'm in this situation that's not necessarily like what I what I hoped it would be for myself as a woman and in the future like I always need to pass the torch on to other women because you know this industry is very you know it's a it's a tough industry you know it's it's still a boys club and women every day like are still you know fighting twice as harder for respect and pay and, and opportunities and um, while I've I, while I've come across some really amazing women, and actually one of them was the reason why like I ended up at Warner Brothers, and she's amazing, and she's like one of my mentors. Um, I also worked with some women that were not <laughs> amazing, and not they were amazing, but they weren't as open to passing the torch. Um, so you know, I just say to any young woman that's coming up in the industry or whatever industry that you're you're coming into, like you know, don't take it personal because they, you know, the women before you have gone through their own challenges and they probably had a boss that treated them like shit and they in in turn, like, adopted that and then now they're putting that on you. And it's never personal. It's just them knowing what they know. I, I come from the, I came from, you know, the, in, like, the time that I was in the industry was all about passing the torch and paying it forward. So, like, for me, although I've had these, like, not so great experiences, you would say. Um, it still has never deterred me from helping other people. So, um, yeah, just just know your worth. Know who you are. Stand firm in that. Um, and just because someone doesn't do what you think they're going to do or support you the way you think they should doesn't mean that you should not... You should stop treating people that way as well. So, um, yeah, I just... That was, like, one of the biggest things. I like just continuously just like uplifting other women because it's hard it's really hard so yeah first off how do you get an internship at 14 <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> so my amazing cousin amber ravenel um i started off as like her assistant so amber had like a label called ravenel records and you know we was we used to park ourselves outside of the station actually outside of like hot 97 and we would be, like, standing there in the cold or whatever. And she actually got an internship. She started interning at Jive. And at the time when she started interning at Jive, I was part of this um, after-school program called Hip Hop Project, and it was sponsored by Russell Simmons. So I remember, like, I was the only one that wanted to be, like, behind the scenes. Everybody <laughs> else was like, I want to be a rapper. I want to be a singer. I want to." And I was like, I just kind of want to be behind the scenes. I don't really need anyone to know me, but I just want to help my friends. And um, it just, it was luck. It was between that after school program and that opportunity and then Amber being at Jive that it just all of a sudden was like, you know, um, shout out to Tone Capone, executive producer of Street Soldiers. He's one of my biggest mentors. And he actually gave me my first internship at Jive. And then like a year later, like a friend of mine in high school, her father was like the head of HR at ASCAP. So I was like, can I work here for a couple hours? So I literally <laughs> went to LaGuardia. So this was my schedule because I used to, I'm, I was in Canarsie. So had to be at school for eight. I would leave my house at 630 in the morning, go to school, be out by 330. I would go to ASCAP from 345 to 630. And then from there, I would go to Jive from like seven until whenever. And then I would be getting home at God knows what time of the night. And then doing it all over again. In high school? In high school. That's crazy. It's crazy. And I'll never forget, like, you know, I love my parents because only they, you know, my father knew early on, like, what I wanted to do. Like, my father and my uncles used to have a label called Do or Die Records. So, and they, he managed Rampage and all these other people. So, like, it was kind of like he knew early on, like, that was the route that I was going to take. My mother was like, no, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. What the hell are you doing? You go, you're not going to be one of these girls that be up in the video and your ass is all how and da 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 And I was like, what? <laughs> so um, it really took, like, some real finagling and, like, begging my parents. And I remember my dad, like, came up to Jive one day and met Tone and was like, I just want to know what my daughter's going to be. And um, Tone and my dad became, like, really good friends. And my dad, like, assured my mother that I would be good. And I used to be coming home at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was like, but oh, they knew where I was. And I was <laughs> like, now when I look back on it now, I'm like, if I had a kid, would I trust that? But it worked. And that's where, that's like, I did that for four years. And then I went to college in Atlanta and I was working at Sony. And it just, I don't know. 
I just thank God for having, you know, young parents that were like not extra strict, I guess. They were strict as hell, but, you know, they trusted me to a certain extent that I wasn't going to be a total fuck up. So, yay. <laughs> and, okay, going to school in Atlanta, that's the big difference from New York. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like for you? That transition was really... It was it was definitely different because I'm from Brooklyn. Like, you know, I lived in Jersey till I was like about eight, but I was like in Irvington, Newark. And then I like, came back to Brooklyn and, you know, I was like this Brooklyn Haitian girl that was like, I thought I was better than everybody because that's how it was. <laughs> and um, I remember like T.I.'s first album came out and like I was like the only one of my friends that was listening to like trap music or anything. And then I was the only person of my friends that was talking about Outkast. Um, while you were back home while in I was in New York yeah. yeah and then you know Confessions came out and I remember it was between I had a choice between two schools I had a choice between Clark Atlanta, Univer- Clark Atlanta University or Berkeley College of Music in Boston and my father was like you're going to Berkeley you don't need to be in Atlanta with all them damn Negroes blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and Confessions came out and I was like I have to go to Atlanta like Atlanta music was really like booming and I remember and like I was at Jive when Sierra had came out with goodies and stuff like that and I just was like there was something happening and I just was like I want to be there because of course I love New York music I love New York hip-hop I love the scene but like I, I saw early like the trend is going down and I want to like go down there with it and I got there and it was really interesting it was it's you know I went to HBCU shout out to HBCUs um but to be from Brooklyn and only be around like West Indians and Americans like Brooklyn Americans you would say and then go to Atlanta where you're like amongst southerners but then you're also like meeting black people from London and black people from Cali and black people from the Midwest and like it was just like the first year was like like the first six months was like a complete culture shock like it was like I don't know you I'm just gonna be in the tri-state club (laughs) I'm just gonna wear my Jordans what you mean is snowing like we, you know, like, it was this whole thing. But then as it, like, but as I grew up and, like, really got to know other people, like, I loved it. It was really dope. And the music scene was really great. I got, I started interning at Social Death as soon as I got out there. And then, you know, I ended up at Sony um, as their college rep for, like, three years. So I just found a way to make it my own. And, like, I had, like, my New York circuit because it was, like, all my homeboys that I grew up with went to Morehouse. <laughs> so it was like, great, y'all right there. And um, and then, like, I expanded. Like, I met people in Cali. From Cali, I met people from the Midwest. So, like, now I'm starting to listen to other music and pick up those sounds. And, um, yeah, like, I think, you know, I, I'm fortunate. Like, my dad was very, like, he was a people person. So he always, like, commanded the space and showed me how to move in a room when I was, like, not comfortable and didn't know what the hell was going on. So I think having that behind me, like, it just made it easier versus, like, someone who just was, like, completely shell-shocked and just wouldn't be able to because I had friends who came from New York and they was like I'm going back to New York like this is too crazy <laughs> mind you like I'm coming back to New York in the summer and I'm like yo like yo y'all want to get crunk y'all want to and they're like what the fuck are you talking about because <laughs> then like and then six months later they would hear the songs and be like oh this is so high and I'm like I told y'all about it we already done moved on to something else this is the new dance it's all about the bang head like it was like all about different stuff so I, I loved it I felt like I was ahead of my friends in New York so it was dope. <laughs> it was it was definitely different, but it was dope. Song number three. Song number three. Um, I really wrote this down, you know. Like I felt proud of myself. Um, song number three is Solange would have been the one off her Soul Angel Sandcastle album. I've been a fan of Solange since two thousand three, and um, and that album came out like when I was in college, and um. Would have been the one is like one of my favorite songs on the album because it's just like about <clears throat> her being with this guy who like she really is like into, but he is into her and like all these other girls. And I think that us as females, if you haven't been through that, you will go through that or you have. But I remember like I was, you know, prior to, prior to the relationship I was in at the time, like I was dating this one guy who like I was all for and. I was like, we are the, like, I would have been the one. And he's, like, dating this girl and that girl. And I'm in Atlanta. And he's in Brooklyn. I'm hearing all these stories. And then college boyfriend at the time. It was just, like, it was so much going on. And I just remember, like, that was, like, one of, like, my 
lowest points <laughs> like of insecurities and doubts and things like that and that song came out and like she's pretty much saying like you can't fix him if you tried like it's not you it's him and you could have been the one but you aren't and maybe there's someone else and that you know and I learned through those experiences that we're all young and we were all trying to figure it out and you know, I think we all were like, oh, I'm going to be with you forever and lived in that fantasy. And then it was just like, that's not realistic. Like, we're like 20. <laughs> like, who said that? So that was actually like, that was the song that like, I think about most, like one of those songs I think about most throughout my college years. And I still listen to now, like I'm definitely single and I'm not out here. But like, I think about my friends and their experiences and when they're telling me about a guy that they're dating, but then there's all these other women in the background. I'm like... Would have been the one. Solange, <laughs> can't fix him if you tried, girl. Like, it's not you, it's him. So that that's yeah, that's a good one. That's one of my songs. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? Because I know, like, sometimes us as women, like, if we date a guy, and we choose, like, that's the guy I'm going to date, we think in our mind, like, hey, that's the girl I'm going to date. So we're just dating each other, but they're more like, I mean, I like you, but I still want to see my other options. <laughs> like I'm, we're I'm, we're not, we're not. What's that word? Exclusive. Exclusive. But yeah. we're dating, so yeah. I'm like that miscommunication. Girl, I, I don't got the answers. <laughs> um, actually, a funny thing. I had a conversation with my cousin last night, and I'm not going to put him on blast. But um, you know, he was just like, "What's wrong with me?" He's like, "There's this girl that I'm seeing, and I really like her." And but for some reason, like every time there's a girl that I like, as soon as it gets to a certain point, I'm like, I run for the the covers and I'm like, <laughs> bro, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, who hurt you? What happened to you in the first seven years of your life? Like, is this your daddy issues, mommy issues? What is it? Um, You know, I I'm fairly new to the dating world. Like I was I've always been in like long relationships and granted, I'm 31, but like I was in a seven year relationship at one point and I'm figuring it out. I think that at the end of the day, it's really about communication. Um, one thing that I've learned the most about myself in the last few years is like allowing myself to be vulnerable and allowing myself to say what it is that I want. And it's like, if I just want to be exclusive with one person, then I need to say that. And I have to be okay with whatever response comes. I think us as females, and I'm guilty of it too because I've, I've done it, is that we are always waiting, we're always hoping that we can change someone. Like, we really like this person, we really want to be with them, and we're like, oh, I can change his mind, I'll be the one to, like, make him stop and all that. And it's like, you can't, you can't live in that. Like, that is the worst thing you could ever do to yourself because then 10 years later, you'll still be running this cycle with the same person and they are, like, still doing the same thing. So it's just about being... Like, communicating, like, seriously, like, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. And if if that person's like, I'm not willing to give you that, then you have to make the choice. Like, okay, like, do I still want to deal with you or am I going to walk away? Because at the end of the day, the only person that's really at fault is you. Like, you have to be accountable and responsible for the choices that you make. And, you know, I think for a really long time, like, you know, I, I, I've been guilty of it. Friends have been guilty of it. Like, we, we wrong men because they didn't say the right thing. And it's like, well, they were honest. You just weren't listening. If you really listen, he said what it was and what it wasn't. And from that point on, like, you are the one who chose to stay in it or whatnot. So um, I think we just have to really, really just be firm in what it is that we want. And then also, if you screw up, which we all do, and you fall victim to it, be able to pick yourself up and be like, okay, girl, that was you, you had to do that. You had to let yourself <laughs> go through that. It probably was really good while it lasted. And now it's like, okay. Now I got to brush myself off and try something else. So, yeah, that that's what I, I don't got the correct answer, but I think that um, you just got to be true to yourself and really, like, believe that when you say yes or no, like, that's what you really believe. And don't doubt yourself. Don't fault yourself. Don't make anyone else wrong about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's backtrack real quick. Um, why do you think it's hard for... <clears throat> some women to uplift and support other women um their own doubts and insecurities um not having a woman uplift and support them um 
attention, you know. I think, you know, I can I speak from my experiences, you know, being in the industry, like, you know, some women, like, you know, when you're in a situation where there's a high power exec that's like, hey, like, and you feel like anyone else coming into that space will mess your shit up. Like, you're, you go, you get on defense mode. Um, and I think because we still are, we still are made to believe that us having the positions that we have are a privilege. Like, we don't deserve to be CMOs or CEOs or CFOs or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a privilege that a woman would have that. Whereas for a guy, it's not even a question. It's like, oh, he just got promoted to CEO. But when a woman is, it's like, wow. And so because I think we're still conditioned to think that, like, those positions of power are a privilege to women and an honor and that, you know, it's not something that's possible, you know, we are so much crap. So many, more than often, it's a crabs in a barrel mentality of just, like, you see that one getting to the top and it's like we got to pull each other down. However... You know, I think we've we've a lot of women fail to realize like we are the backbone of this world. Like babies wouldn't be born without us. Like <laughs> babies wouldn't be born without us. Men would not be men without us. Like we are the reason for everything. And when we really stand in that truth and believe that, then we will realize like, yo, we can really take over all of these businesses. Like, we can do anything that we want. It's just society is still has conditioned women, unfortunately, to believe like that's not true and that's not possible. So I think that's just a lot of the reason why. And and I want to be clear, like, there are a lot of women that I have had, the like, I've been fortunate enough to meet that have been, like, super dope and super, like, what do you need? I, I support you. I got you. And I've had, like, a couple that weren't. And so, like, there are women doing it and there are women empowering other women and supporting other women um, underneath them. Um, And they just need to be, like, bigged up and, like, put on a pedestal because, like, they are doing it. And um, so, like, I think it's just... um, So I think think as, as things, times change and, you know, women will... We are already doing the necessary things to, like, keep that in action but you know there's always just like the few that are just still like traumatized or conditioned or whatever (laughs) i don't know what it is so how do you um keep future generation in your opinion from falling to that mindset or can that condition um you know mentoring having conversations like this you know i have two younger sisters and i I make them know every day that they are the best at whatever it is that they're doing. You know, I have a sister in college and, you know, I remember when I was in college and having those meltdowns and stuff like that. And she's at the place right now where she's like, well, what am I going to do next? And I'm like, yo, you can do anything. Um, And just support her and empower her, even if it's two o'clock in the morning and she's having a meltdown and I'm half asleep. I have another sister who's 14 going on 15. She just started high school and, you know, she's in that, space right now where she's like learning her body and like you know she's like oh do I do I want to have short hair or long hair do I want to look like <laughs> this well this if I put this on will it be cute and I just let her know like yo like every day I'm like how are you doing like both of them like how are you doing how was your day what happened what didn't happen oh you look good today oh that's cute oh you you want to like I just I just support and empower them as much as that I can as much as I can and then I have other friends who you know, mentor at, like, programs, and they reach out to young women. Um, You know, I have a friend who just started her own company, and she, like, hired, like, a younger girl who's, like, as her assistant and is, like, supporting and empowering her. So I'm fortunate that I have friends around me that are doing that, and I just hope that as a result of just my community doing that, like, it just continues to expand because I know people are doing it. Um, I just also say for young girls, like, ask, like, Nothing that I have was given to me. Like, I had to go and get it. So don't be intimidated because it's like, oh, this person's a CMO of Beats or, you know, CFO of Pepsi. Like, you got to ask. Like, closed mouths don't get fed. Like, you got to send those emails. You got to send those thank you notes. You got to go for what you want. So it's, it's, it's a mutual, it's like both ways. Like, us as the older generation, we always have to reach out. But then the younger generation also needs to, like, tap us on the shoulder and be like, hey, don't forget about me. 
I need some help and help will come. It's just, it's, it's both ways. It's a two way street. So song number two, song number two, um, um, good morning by Kanye West. (laughs) I love that song. Um, I'm like, Every like so that was actually the song that I listened to on my graduation morning of college because graduating was a little bleak at one point. I never forget. I called my mother and I was like, "Yes, I told you May. It might actually be December." <laughs> and she was like, "You know what, Shana? I don't feel like talking to you right now." I hung up and I'm just like, "You know, just be like that." Um, Kanye West is you know one of my like he's my best friend in my head. Um, Kanye got me through college because literally College Dropout came out my freshman year and that was not a very motivating album because I definitely went to registrar and was like, I don't know, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> my mother was like, if you don't take your ass back to your dorm. But um, yeah, like even though that album came out in 2007, I graduated in 2008, walked, May 2009. Um, so even though that the graduation album came out 2007, like, that album, literally, like, every single day I listened to it. And I remember, like, the morning of graduation, like, I listened to Good Morning on repeat. And everyone that knows me knows, like, I'm a avid, diehard, like, Malcolm X. Like, I took, like, four classes on him. I was <laughs> like, I'm about to become... Like, I was on this whole thing. And and just even just how he starts it off, where he's like, on this day we become legendary, everything we dream of. I'm like a fly Malcolm X by any means necessary, Detroit Red cleaned up. from the, Like, that whole, like, just, like, those first bars are just, like, on this day that we become legendary, like, every single day, like, I wake up, and I'm, like, on this day, like, I can become legendary. Like, every day I wake up with the choice to say, like, I can be whoever I want to be. And that song, for me, like, always puts me in the mood to just be like, all right, what are we going to fuck up today? <laughs> so that song, yeah, that that's definitely, it's not like my... To clarify, it's not my favorite Kanye West song because we can go down that rabbit hole, but it's definitely the one that most inspires me and most empowers me and um, and just makes me feel like, you know, I can, it's, sky's the limit. There's, there's no limit to what it is that I want to create. So, yeah, that was, that, that's a dope one. I like, I like that one. So, <laughs> so speaking of um, the whole On a Day We Can Become Legendary, what's, What's the legacy you want to leave behind? Wow. Um, that's a good one. Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> good. Um, I, I started thinking about that more and more, especially after my father passed away. And um, that's how, like, the rebirth of the documentary came about. And I quit my job. And I was like, I'm going to freelance and just figure it out and travel. Um, I just want my, le- my legacy to be that... And I mean, it's going to always change, but I just want people to see me as someone who followed her dream. And, you know, at 31, I never thought that, like, my life would turn this way. And I don't know what it's going to be like when I'm 41, but um, I just want to inspire young people to follow their dreams. I want them to understand that, like, that there will be a life will give you a lot of obstacles. Um, You have to learn how to you have to learn to love and embrace the fall. I think we we get so like, oh, like, it's so bad right now. I can't wait till I get out of it. I'm guilty of it because <laughs> I'm always trying to get out of it. But it's those moments when you're down on the bottom that really are what defines you and really shows you how strong you are. I've been through things in my life that I never, if you had told me I was going to go through them, I'd be like, okay, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, that sounds good. But... Or it doesn't sound good. Like, that's the most that's the most horrible thing you could ever tell me. Like, why would you say that I would go through that? And then I went through it, and I was like, wow, like, I survived. And I'm still here. And I'm not at the, you know, G building taking meds right now. So, um, yeah, like, I want people, I want people to remember me as someone who inspired and uplifted other people to follow their dreams. I always tell my friends, like, if you're going to be around me, like, be prepared for me to always try to level you up. Like, I'm not the friend that's just like, oh, you hate your job. Uh-huh. No, I'm the friend that's like, okay, so you hate your job. What are we going to do? Plan A, plan B, plan C. All right, you don't know anyone there? Let's find someone there. Like, I'm always that friend. I'm always that person. Like, okay, what's next? What do you need to do? Like, all right, how can, how can you get to the next level? I'm still figuring it out. But while I'm figuring it out, like, how can we help you? 
Because I'm not trying to have, like, a team of everybody that's just behind me. Like, no, we are all moving together. So I want people to be like, yo, Chanel, like, she's the reason why, like, I started this. And even if it's just that I w- I made a phone call. Like, someone called like someone called me the other day, and they were like, yeah, this, you remember this intern that I had? Um, He, like, wanted me to tell you, like, thank you. Because, like, because of one conversation that I had with him that I didn't even remember, like, four years ago. Now, like, he started his own business, and he's brand manager at this really dope company and all of these things that he didn't see were possible. And the only thing I told him was like, don't give up, follow your dream. Like, you know what you want to do. Like reach out to everybody. Did it like, I gave him all this advice that people gave me. And as a result, like four years, years later, like he's, people are calling me, telling me like, yo, he's looking for you because he wants to say thank you. And I'm like, really? Like <laughs> me? I did that? So, um, or I helped to do that. Like, I'm not going to take credit for it. He always had it in him. It just was the person that just was like, do it. You got it. So I just want people to just remember that. Like, I'm, I'm always just for the betterment of people. I don't want anyone to be unhappy and miserable. Um, so, yeah, like, follow your dreams. Like, be the best you that you can be. Love you like Kanye loves himself, guys. Like, <laughs> come on. So what's the journey been like for you so far? The journey? Yes. It's been hard. It's been hard. It's, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. It's been hard. Um, you know, I was, like, complaining the other day. I'm so guilty of it, where I was just like, I just want a break. I'm tired. Like, I've, I've, I've been feeling tired, you know. I, you know, these last three years, three, four years have been exhausting. Like I've had, you know, I I went from, you know, losing three men in my life that were really important to me. I lost my grandfather, um, even though he's still alive, thank God, but I was in a seven-year relationship that ended, and then I lost my father. I lost one of my best friends in the same week that I lost my dad. I lost my house in a fire, Um, which is how I lost my dad. I lost my clothes. I lost everything. Like there was a period of time where it was like within six months, six to eight months where I pretty much was dried up and empty. Like I had nothing. My savings were depleted, like everything. Like I just was at like my bottom. And and I remember just sitting there and I was like, yo, like Bellevue is not a bad idea right now. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I kid you not. Like I, Went back to, like, I remember when, like, that that line where, like, Jay was talking about Dave after Leah had passed away. He was, like, you know, the whole line about, like, you know, made sure he didn't end up at Bellevue. And I was, like, well, he probably had a good idea with that one. And um, and it was in that moment where I just was, like, I could either give up on everything and give up on life and just take this easy route or I could fight and I can rebuild and restart and figure all of this out. And as a result of that, my life changed 100%. And it wasn't easy. And it's still not easy. I'm producing a documentary by myself. You know, I was fortunate. I raised an Indie, I had an Indiegogo. I raised money. And then I raised the money. And then I'm like halfway through everything. And I'm like, oh, where did the money go? This is way more expensive than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um so, like, I'm producing this project by myself that I've never done. I'm freelancing, and some months I are really amazing, and other months, like, three months, I'll be like, oh, I don't got a client. I'm, I'm out here. Um, you know, my life is nowhere where I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, by 31, I'm going to have it together. I'm going to have my house. I'm going to own a home. I'm going to have all these things, and I don't. And it's been fun at the same time. Like, I say all that to say that it's still been fun. Like, I can still look back and be like, wow, like, I survived that? Like, me? Like, I weigh but, like, 115 pounds. Did I survive <laughs> that? Yes. Like, I can, I can do that. Like, I can do this. I can make a documentary. I can make people believe that my dream is important. Like, people believe that. Like, I really sometimes, like, I'll tell people, like, yeah, I'm making this documentary. This is what I've done. And they're like, that is the... I'm like, really? Like, it's, it's insane to me to think that it's even worth it. But um, it's, it's, been, it's been up and down. It's been a roller coaster. And it's been fun. In the end, through all the complaining and tears and doubt and fear, I could honestly like sit down at the end of every day and be like, "Oh, well, that was pretty fun. What's next?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 been fun and it's been hard. I'm not gonna lie about that. It's it's been hard, but it's it's what's made me stronger than I ever knew that I could ever be. So you know, like it's like, wow, that's pretty dope. 
let's go back because uh, when you were talking about that period where, like, th- those eight months after your father passing being the hardest months, like, I, I know how hard those months are. Because, like, there's, cause, like, what, my stepdad passed 2014. So it's like, those are, like, it was, like, those months after just, like, I don't even know how I'm going to continue with life mm-hmm. right now. And, like, you're always crying. You can't yeah. stop it. And it's, like, the smallest little thing. I think I was watching uh, Best Man Holiday, and oh. I started bawling. <laughs> Yo, I saw Best Man Holiday in the movie theater, and my friend, my poor friend Oshun was like, are you going to be okay? And I was like, no, kid, I'm going to die. Um, it's like, yeah, it's like the, the littlest things will, like, during that time will set you off, and it's just, like, it's a battle to dig your way out of that. And it's, it's, it could take months. Like, how how did you get through that? Friends. Friends. I So, I lost my friend Zaire on February 20th, 2015. Before that, my relationship had ended. I lost my grandfather. Those things happened. Um, and then February came. I lost Zaire. Pneumonia. Some shit like that. You know, eight days later, on the day of her, the, the night, like, we buried her that Friday morning. Spoke to my dad. He's like, you're exhausted. Stay stay where you are. Because I hadn't moved back to live with my dad after the breakup. And I was like, I'm going to buy a house. And then the next morning I woke up and I went about Saturday morning like it was nothing. And then I got the call that like I lost, we lost the house. We lost my dad and all that. And those months afterwards, like I feel like I don't feel like, I, like, I don't know, like, if you experienced this, but I felt like I was in a bubble. I felt like people were around me. I, I like could you see alone. them. Like, I hear them. But I couldn't, it's like, but I was disconnected. Like, I was, like, in this orbit of my own, and I was, like, alone. And if it, and it really was, like, my friends. Like, it really, God, it was my friends. It was my best friend, Ayana, who, like, I adore. Like, she... She came. Her and my friend Regine came up with like a calendar, and they had like people take different shifts to be with me. You know, she reached out to our friends and was like, "Yo, Chanel doesn't have any clothes. Like, she lost everything in the fire. Like, what can we do?" My friends raised like five thousand dollars for me to buy clothes. I had them. Then my other friends who, to me, like you know, I have friends who are stylists in the industry and they're styling like the biggest people in the world, the biggest people in the world, and. We're like, yo, like, meet me at DKNY at this time. And, like, took me to DKNY and got me clothes and I didn't have to pay anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just, like, things that, like, I never imagined would ever happen. And they were just like, whatever you need. So it really was, it was my friends. It was really, like, my friends that really, friends and family, but just my friends. Like, you know, like, they are my family. And... Those months, and still to this day, it's been, it's like two years later, and I'm still like a hot mess sometimes. Like, there's still days where, like, I'm like, you know what? Not today. Not today, Jesus. I'm going to just stay in the bed. It'll be, like, pretty as hell outside, and I will just be, like, wallowing. And I'll send one text message, and, like, 15 people will call me, like, what do you need? Like, till this day, two years later. And, you know, I'm, I was naive to think that, like, oh, like, how dare I still be mourning? I shouldn't be mourning Yo, mourn, cry, let that let that out. That's how people get sick, holding in all those emotions. It still makes no sense to me. It still is the hardest thing for me to believe that my dad isn't here. And I'm sure it's the same thing for you and your stepdad. Like, it's it's those things where you're just like, he's not here? Really? Like, this moment right now that I need him, he's not here. She's not here. These people aren't here. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really just the power of my friends and my family that literally, like, they, they keep me together because... I was I was ready to give up. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I'm, Bellevue is not a bad idea, guys. It really isn't. And they were like, excuse me, what? No, never, never will we ever. And you're gonna look good, losing your mind in your head. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was it was it was that, and it still continues to be that. And everything that I do, like they are my my fan club, my cheerleaders, and. I love them, and they know how much I love them, and I do everything that I can do in my in my powers to just even be able to be there for them too. So, yeah, that's that's really what it was, <laughs> and still what it continues to be. Yeah. <clears throat> Song number one. 
Song number one is Erica Badu's 20 Feet Tall. Um, I that like that album came was like New America. That album came out like 2010, 2011, and I didn't remember the song until 2014. Uh, <laughs> I um I saw her in concert at Radio City Music Hall with Dave Chappelle. And I was going through my breakup. I was, you know, with my ex for seven years and we were living together. And now, like, in our last few months of our relationship, like, there was so much going on. And I remember, like, begging and pleading to understand, like, what did I do? Like, because it was, like, it felt like everything was my fault. And I remember I saw her at Radio City and I went with my best friend Jamal and I cried. (laughs) She performed that song and I cried. And he was like, what's happening right now? Just so if you understand, Jamal is like my concert buddy. So Wendell's so funny. <laughs> my best friend's name is Jamal. And he's my concert buddy. <laughs> Jamal is my concert buddy. Jamal is like, it's not even a question. It'd be like, what you doing on Tuesday? You trying to go see Maxwell and Mary J. Blige? Cool. We go. Like, he's my concert buddy. Like, that is like my concert buddy. Festivals, everything. And I cried. Like, because that song is about... Like, it's just is like, she she says, my love, what did I do to make you fall so far from me? And, like, I can't recall the fall. Like, you know, and she's just talking about, like, what did I do? Because I think, you know, as women in our relationships, we're so nurturing, we're so giving, we're so, like, everything. And when something goes wrong, naturally, it's what did I do? And it's all us. And we did something wrong and we're at fault. And many times we can be. Um... And so in the song, she's, like, begging and pleading to understand what she did wrong. But then at the end of that first verse, she's like, um, you know, she's like, but if I get off my knees, I might recall that I'm 20 feet tall. Because, you know, she's saying, like, her partner put up this 20-foot wall, so she's blocked out and doesn't know what's going on. But if she got off her knees and stopped begging and pleading this man to fix it and make it right and make her right and make her feel right, that... If she realized that, then she realizes, like, wait a minute, I'm 20 feet tall and I can actually overpower this wall because that's who I am. Like, I'm worth it. I'm worthy. Um, And I think so often we, you know, being in relationships, we give so much of ourselves that we forget who we are and forget how strong we are. And, you know, like, I'm really good friends with my ex and I love and adore him. um, And we're just friends. And but I lost a lot of myself in that relationship. You know, I was in a relationship from 21 to 28. It was only 20s. Like, I was... So the last three years, like, it really has been, like, those songs and so many songs and that have really, like, helped me to be like, wow, like, I am this amazing person and I make mistakes and I do mess up things like everybody, but I am worthy. I am bigger than this. I'm bigger than this situation. And um, funny thing is that... Like, five days later, Spike Lee had the block party. I always have to tell the story. Um, <laughs> Spike Lee had his block party, and she was performing. And I was with my friend Rihanna, and we were in the VIP section, and we're, like, talking to Dave Chappelle and his family. And I'm like, you were so hilarious at Radio City. And so Rihanna and I are like, okay, we're hungry. We're going to leave now. He's like, where are you guys going? We're like, oh, we're going to go to Brooklyn Moon. It's, like, this really dope restaurant in Brooklyn, black-owned, 22 years, that, like, everybody goes to. And... So Dave Chappelle is like, yeah, I think we're going to go. I think Donnell Rawlings and everybody's going to go. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. So we get there first, and then, like, Donnell Rawlings shows up or whatever. And I don't think Dave Chappelle ever showed up while we were there. But in walks Erica Badu. And she walks through the door, and she's like, where's Mike? And Mike is the owner. And I'm like, Mike's not here right now, but can I help you? <laughs> I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in my seat. Like, because she's, like, looking around. And she's just like, she doesn't see anyone. And she just like, comes over. And I'm just like, and then she and I, like, she's like, comes over to, like, our little high top table. And I never sit at the high top tables. And today I'm sitting <laughs> at the high top table. And Erica walks in. And I'm like, and she's like, can I help you? And I was like, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, I'm just looking for Mike. I was like, I don't think he's here right now, but I'll text him for you. So I'm texting Mike. And I'm like, Mike, get over here. And I'm eating, like, the French fries, which are, like, really popular there. And she's like, oh, my God, I love these fries. So she starts eating my French fries. And I... I literally put my hand on top of her hand, like, to kind of be like, don't go anywhere. <laughs> and I was like, do you want some more? Do you want some ketchup? Do you need hot sauce? What do you need? Like, looking for the waiter. And she's like, no, I'm good. And then I was like, Eric, I saw you at Radio City the other night, and you sang 20 foot, feet tall, and I was there, and I'm going through this breakup. And literally, like, I started bawling. 
And my friend Rihanna, the, the whole time, she said nothing. I just remember her being like, is this happening? And then Erica looked me in the eyes, and I always heard the story, like, two people you never look in the eyes, Erica Badu and Prince. Yeah. Rest in peace, Prince, who I adore. I look, she looks me in, her eye, in the eye, and I'm like, now she started crying. And she's like, wasn't it so beautiful the other night? And I was like, it was so beautiful. And I remember I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I've been with this person. And she was like, you do know what to do. You know what to do right now. You're doing it already. And I was like, I am. I am. Like, and, and it was just like, that's all she said. And I was like, I am. And she was like, and she gave me this hug. And she's like, okay, well, I have to go now. And then she just like, and it was one floated of those. Away. And she just <laughs> floated away. And it was one of those moments where it was literally like, I could have asked for a picture, but it was just such an amazing moment that you, I just was like, I don't want to ruin it. And because my friend Rihanna was there, I have evidence that it actually happened. So it makes me feel better. <laughs> but yeah, like, so that's just, that. that's what that song means to me. And I, I recommend to like any woman who's going through anything, like listen to Miss Erica, listen to Mama Erica, because she's amazing. And 20 Feet Tall is like that song where it's just like, you're bigger than this. You got this. Don't be begging and pleading like... No, basically begging and pleading for you but you know <laughs> that reminds me of when she came here like it was it was weird because i remember she came in and she walked by and i was just like i was like first of all she floated by she didn't walk she floated and i don't know how she did that y'all have to believe you but she floated I believe and you. then it's like you just feel this weird energy and i was like i've never felt at peace before like this it's so weird and calming calm calming and it's like it's hard to describe it's hard to describe because before that like i joked with people like you know i joked with like people joked with me i joked with people like oh my god erica's everything and, you know like you just heard stories and you heard stories from the guys that she's been about how but in that moment like it was like this like it was an energy i had never felt and i just was like i felt so at calm and everything that i was going through before that and granted like i still was like healing but it was like that moment where she was just like, you're already doing it. You know what you're doing. You got it. You're, you're doing it right now. And I was just like, I am? Really? I am. Like, she's in, and every single time I go to any one of her concerts, I leave feeling like I'm high and I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> and I'm just like, what happened in there? And like, I now, again, I'll be with Jamal and he'll be like, what just happened to us? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what just happened to us? So... Yeah, she she she's amazing, and that song has you know till this day. I was listening to that song this morning, just like I'm twenty feet tall. Like I got this. Like I'm bigger than any problem or any relationship or anything that comes my way. So that is like my number one right there. And that kind of like situation, like seven years, whether it's seven years, three years, but like you're you're living with the person. That's like a. That's, like, a crazy situation to, like, try to, like, get past. Because it's, like, okay, not only were we dating this for this long, but, like, we were living together. Yeah. Like, I started dating him when I was in college. Like, I was, you know, we were together. And then, you know, he was in it. He stayed in Atlanta, and I moved back to New York. And then he came back to New York because he's from New York. And then we moved in together. And then it was, like, well, now we have to, like, start a whole new life but outside of this yeah we place. it was crazy because we broke up we broke up weekend of mother's day <laughs> so that's how i always remember it i'm like oh mother's day oh hmm, i remember i broke up with someone then um and we stayed we lived together for at least like another month it was like to everyone around me like how is this working and i was just like well we don't hate each other we didn't break up on like, I'm sure, like, at the time, I know he, like, hated me. Even though we, like, had a conversation and it was, like, mutual. I know he was, like, very resentful. Um, but, yeah, like, we made it work. Like, we stayed we stayed in the same house, you know. We shared the same bed. Nothing happened. And then he, like, he moved out. And then um, then I moved out, like, a month and a half later. And, yeah, it was it was really... It was really scary because, you know, we were together for seven years. Like, it to all to everyone around us, it was like, this is, they're going to have babies. They're going to get married. <laughs> Even though, like, I'm so anti-marriage. I was like, can he just be my common-law husband? <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And then so you create this whole world with someone. Like I created, you know, we created this home together. We create this whole world. Like painted the bathroom. Like I was like, we're gonna put curtains here. Like I really created this whole world with this person. And then it was like, so we're not gonna have this world anymore. And that was really scary. That was like it was really scary. And I thank God that we were able to maintain a friendship. I know it wasn't easy for either one of us at first, but we were able to maintain a friendship. And when I lost my dad, he was the first, he was one of the first people by my side. And he supported me and he, him and Ayana, like I'll never forget, we had to go to the house in Jersey. They went into the goddamn house that just caught fire. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're going to try to find something for you to wear tomorrow. (laughs) You know, like, so... You know, and, you know, it's amazing to have that. I know a lot of people don't have that. I have friends who've had really bad breakups and bad relationships. And, you know, I, I don't know what makes me different from others. I don't, I just, I just think that, um, I think, you know, just different circumstances and understanding, understanding. And we always said, like, if we ever broke up, we would still be friends. Actually, he said it more so than me. <laughs> He's like, He's like, you're going to hate me, but we can still be friends. And I'm like, why would you say that? We're never going to break up. <laughs> and um, and three years later, like, you know, if, you know, he he has his life, I have my life. But if if ever anything went down, like he needed something, call me up and be like, all right, let's go. What we got to do and vice versa. And he's he's one of my good friends. And, you know, I know, like, should I move on to another relationship? That's something that I have to, like, be conscious of for my new partner or whatever. But you know, like, we'll have a conversation and make sure everybody's on board. And it's not like I see him every day. And we're like, you know what I mean? It's like, no. But, um, yeah, that was uh, that's really hard. Seven years. Seven years. So now I'm 31 and I'm, like, out here single. And, and I'm happy being single. I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm not trying to be in a relationship. I'm just, like, loving me. And it's been fun. And... I feel like I did it backwards because, like, all my friends are now getting relationships and having babies and trying to get married. And I'm like, single. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, you were in a relationship in your 20s. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm a little backwards right now, but it's working. Now I get to be the person that gives them advice. (laughs) So, All right. So before we go, you have to do your Dear Black Girl open letter. Ready? Okay, my Dear Black Girl open letter. Yeah, so um, just start off like Dear Black Girl in your letter and then put signed Chanel. Okay. Um, Dear Black Girl, you are smart, you are beautiful, you are enough. You will learn that integrity is one of the most important things in life and that you have everything in your back pocket. Um, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to express who you are. Don't let anyone ever, ever make you feel otherwise. And no matter what age you are, what stage you are in your life, whether you're 15 or you're 50, it's never too late to follow your dreams. Never too late to follow your dreams. So those are my words of advice from 31-year-old Chanel August. I hope that they mean something. I hope that they empower you, inspire you along your journey. And I can't wait to meet you one day, black girl. Love, Chanel August. 